Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. And this week we talk a lot about Clubhouse, and specifically, is Clubhouse a whole platform or maybe just a feature? We also talk about YouTube getting rid of the dislike button, and then we have a grab bag of other news. But first, yesterday was April Fool's Day. Uh, and by the time you hear this, it was uh, it was one of the most controversial, fun, maybe cringe days on the internet. Uh, it's just kind of the way it is on the internet every year. Last year, 2020's April Fool's Day was kind of canceled, of course, because of the state of the world. Reasonably so. Reasonably acceptable to cancel all of that. Uh, this year, it kind of came back in a, a couple forms. Uh, I'll, I'll give a couple shout outs to some of the good ones I saw because we like, we appreciate a good April Fool's yeah. Day, you know, gag, if you want to call it that, or having some fun on social. It's Twitter. It's whatever. It's not a huge deal. But uh, there were some good ones. We made our video finally reviewing mac yeah the the greatest mac review or your highest rated mac 100 the highest rated product i've ever given a rating to 11 out of 10 the goodest boy for sure there's dual monochrome sensors with autofocus assist by this middle sensor that the manufacturer calls a snout sensor uh definitely worth a watch it's it's honestly better it's it's just as good to watch it not on april fool's day like yeah. that's a it's a legit I, review i do want to say since we've posted it dog rates has come out and given an expert score and he is officially a 13 out of 10 i'm willing to dreams accept, come true yeah, yeah. I, i'll accept that that's probably a more unbiased source of a rating uh we might be a little bit too close to the development process to give it a fair rating so i feel like that's probably okay so yeah we'll upgrade him to a 13 out of 10 right. shout out to dog rates uh, no, I saw RGB stuff uh, from Razer, which shouldn't be a surprise. They're no. always all over just making products for fun. So on April Fool's Day, they launched Razer RGB hair dye. They called it Rapunzel. <laughs> they made a whole promo video and a whole site. 
and a whole Instagram AR filter where you can uh, essentially dye your hair RGB. I'd expect nothing less from like Razer. Chroma RGB, like animations and everything. Yeah, yeah it plugs into their system, the whole thing. I, I feel like this was the least they could do. So well done. Well it was, done. Razer. It was really well done. A perfect example of like going the extra mile to like create the product video and the product packaging and everything. And, and obviously fake, but still really like funny and relevant to their products. Time to glow up with the all new Razer Rapunzel Chroma hair dye. Good, harmless fun. Also, we were like scrolling down the site and I think you mentioned offhand like, oh, you know what would take this to the next level is if they made like some sort of like app where you could actually look at yourself with yeah, RGB yeah. hair and then we found the Instagram filter and it was it was perfect. I will also give a shout out to Motion VFX, a smaller company that makes a lot of actually the Final Cut Pro plugins that I use and that I really like and that we have here at the studio. They happened to make a, uh, they made a plugin or they, sorry, they made a promo video for a plugin that would bring Final Cut Pro to the Apple Watch, which was hilarious. And yeah. obviously, it's the, it's the sort of splashy, like, Apple-style promo video of, like, we're finally doing it. You can color grade on the tiny screen on your watch. And it's it's great. It I think we'll really try to link good. this stuff in the show notes. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I link everything. In Did there. you have I, any April Fool's Day stuff you appreciated? I really, really liked. And this was more of just, or no, I think they actually made the app. But it's, like, super simple. Um, I don't have who's who made it, but I'll... I'll Post it in the show notes. It's called Fan Fan. It's an app for M1 Max in case you want to replicate the noise of a fan. In I guess if you missed it because it is now fanless, um, which I just thought was hilarious. It kind of reminds me of we're seeing all these EV cars that we we review that oh, have true. like the uh, the like, fake motor noise because everyone misses it. That's really um, funny. So for our so for, for those who who miss the fan noise but don't have any fans, exactly. Nice. And then. Uh, Satachi made a cyber mouse, which is like a mouse that looks just like a cyber truck. I'm pretty sure that's just a render. It was a really well done render and it was really funny. And I saw that one. Another one of those things where like this is a joke, but if you made it, people would definitely buy it. It was the opposite of ergonomical. I can tell you that. Yeah, it looked but just I, like the truck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I bet it's probably nicer than some mice that are actually out there <laughs> if they created it despite that. Um, but but what we really want to talk about in dead last of the power rankings for <laughs> April Fool's jokes, Volkswagen comes in. And oh, this Volkswagen. was just a story you've probably seen um, that has frustrated me to no end. And I'm sure the people at The Verge are way... The Verge are so frustrated about this. They made a whole article today about why April Fool's is the worst. And I, I totally get where they're coming from. So explain what happened with Volkswagen and then we can go into why it was okay. a bad idea. Um, so what was it? It was like, Two days before April Fool's, The Verge had an article saying that Volkswagen was rebranding their North American division to Volkswagen, V-O-L-T-S, like an electrical volt, um, to kind of show off how committed they are to electrifying their product lineup and how how many electric... I think they now, in some weird way, consider themselves one of the largest electric auto manufacturers um, because VW Group owns Porsche and and Audi and everyone. So it felt really weird. It's like got a nice little pun to it, but it really felt like an April Fool's joke. And coming two days before April Fool's, everyone just assumed it was an April Fool's joke, which rule number one of April Fool's Day is it is April Fool's Day. It is not the week before April oh, Fool's Day. Oh yeah, we'll Day. get into that okay, for yeah. sure. But it was weird because it was also it was also described as a leak. Like it, it was a They like a posted memo. it and then took it out. Right. So it was a memo that was leaked, that was shared, that was reported on, 
and then deleted. So it didn't feel like a harmless April Fool's Day no. joke. It felt like a bait and switch, which was yeah. It was just originally just this leak that was reported on. Then everyone emails Volkswagen for confirmation mm-hmm. of what's happening because hey, we're we're reporting a story about your company. As a journalist, we might as well email you and ask you for for your comment on this. And uh, Volkswagen's official response comments were confirming that this was what they were actually going to do. They confirmed it was real. The rebrand was real, but it accidentally got like scheduled and posted too early. It was supposed to come at the end of April instead. Right. So uh, as an April Fool's Day like prank, this would have been fine if they didn't do that part. This is my this is my hot take is like this could have actually been like a an okay, decent April Fool's Day gag if they didn't do that part. Like if they just said, hey, happy April 1st, like on April Fool's Day, mm-hmm. we're rebranding as Volkswagen, which is like kind of something I could see them doing, to yeah. be honest, which is like a really cringy rebrand of half their company to what? signify their move towards electric vehicles. Haha, ha, fine, not really happening. But the uh, the extra part of like going out of their way to lie to people to make sure they tricked people was a little much. Oh, yeah. So that's where I think they, they came in dead last. I Yeah, it's like, First of all, April Fool's Day is we just all expect the cringe. Like you can have you can have you get free cringe marketing and it's it automatically becomes kind of funny or entertaining at least because you're scrolling through a ton of it and if you are just the least cringy but still cringy then it's you're probably net positive Par on for the, the day. course. Um so so let's go back to the timing first here like 2 days before is not cool. April Fool's Day is a day. I don't want April Fool's Day to turn into like Black Friday, which has an entire week of savings before it. Like April Fool's is a marketing holiday at this point. It is not really like anything other than that. Let's stop turning these marketing holidays into week-long things. Make Christmas week-long. I'll take that, but not April Fool's Day. Um, You know what it kind of feels like? It kind of feels like a bad embargo. Like everyone knows... April 1st at the clock strikes midnight is green light to do April Fool's Day stuff. But I feel like over the past couple of years, we've started to see it trickle out into the day before and like the night before. Or like people breaking the embargo. Yeah, like people breaking the embargo a little bit. And now this like Volkswagen one was two days before April like 1st, which much. is really way too far. But uh, I feel like as soon as it's the, the morning of April 1st, everyone's green lights are on. And then if you're not early, like... You when you see a joke that that's like a brand new thing on the night of April 1st, I feel like you're tired of it by then. So they all want to be early. So I think that's kind of feeding into it. True. It's extending to the day before, which sucks. I think my like my biggest gripe with the whole thing was that when companies reached out to confirm it, they confirmed it. And just conti- you're not joking anymore. You're just lying at mm-hmm. that point. And if you have a quality joke that might actually trick people for a couple of minutes, like then you've nailed April Fool's Day. Like that's kind of what you want. Like two to three minutes of thinking like, oh goodness, is this real? Like, oh, that's kind of weird. I wonder why they do that. Oh, why are they doing this? And then you're like, oh, it's April Fool's Day. I remember. But if you're just not even on the day lying, like if if you make that joke and people reach out, just say like, we have no comment on it right now. Or yeah, like, exactly. we do not confirm that. Blah, 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 and let it still fester as we like have no an comment idea. at this time. Exactly. That should have been their comment. Yeah. The the minute you lie about that, I would be so mad if I were the Verge. Like I <laughs> yeah. I would be furious. And I can't imagine they're not. I'm sure they're not happy about that. Cause it makes them look bad. But it's not their fault. Well, yeah. I mean, they can they wrote everything that Volkswagen did and and people believing the article, 
isn't a reflection on the people who reported it. It's a reflection on Volkswagen and what they decided yeah. to say. But yeah, no, I think if this was like a, a totally ridiculous thing we wouldn't expect Volkswagen to do, they wouldn't have had to do this crazy stunt. They could just go, we're making a car that flies. And then everyone would go, Volkswagen, do you have a comment on this? And they would go, yeah, we're making a comment that flies. And everyone goes, yeah, okay, whatever. And then they know what to say. But the fact that this was such a believable like evolution, because Volkswagen has actually been pushing for a yeah. long time at being at the forefront of electric vehicle stuff. And the, the fact that they would actually rebrand part of their company to reflect that doesn't seem that insane. So no. that, that combined with the awful way of like faking a, a, a leak was a, was a pretty pretty big swing and a miss there. But, but like you said to start this whole thing off is if they did that press release article on April Fool's Day as just Volkswagen, it still would have brought the attention to their EV stuff. It would have been a funny headline on April Fool's Day and it would have been obvious it was April Fool's Day and there would be zero backlash on it. They would have just gotten to make their bad pun and then Dieter probably would have liked it. Because he likes puns. <laughs> yeah. Now he hates it. Now he hates the pun. Yeah. yeah. If you ruin Dieter puns, Volkswagen, there, there's no forgiving that. So the cardinal sins that Volkswagen stacked on top of each other for their brand's April Fool's Day was number one, not doing it on April Fool's Day. Number two, not making it a harmless joke, but actually making it a somewhat believable, cringy thing you might actually do, but aren't. And number three, faking a leak and then actually lying to press who went mm -hmm. to you to confirm it. Again, not on April Fool's Day. So if you're a brand out there thinking about enjoying and participating in the April 1st cringe, just uh, don't stack those things on top of each other. Just uh, try to minimize that. Type or of don't stuff. do any of them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, we'll leave it at that. Uh, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Clubhouse. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Support for Waveform comes from Coda. So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast to TED and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free. You can head over to coda.io slash wave. So that's coda, C-O-D-A, dot io slash wave to get started for free coda.io forward slash wave all right so here's a thought yeah clubhouse mm -hmm. what exactly is clubhouse i've been on clubhouse for a little bit we've described it we know we know what it is this audio only social network which has all these cool interview shows and this this fun fomo factor because it's only live and there's no recordings but the question of like, will it last keeps coming up. The question of, 
what exactly is the future of Clubhouse keeps coming up. And so I'm gonna I'm just gonna give you a question. You can tell me what you think the answer might be. Is Clubhouse a social network, like a platform, mm-hmm. or a feature? And I say this because we've had like sort of versions of this conversation yeah, yeah. before, but it's kind of interesting this this uh, this trajectory, all these different trajectories that Clubhouse could possibly take in the future. They could just expand forever and be here to stay and be one of the rare new major social networks. Or they could expand, fizzle out, have a problem with interestingness, as it's been described, and die. Or maybe it lives somewhere in the middle. It gets acquired. It gets you know competed against by a bunch of different other companies. But I'm I'm curious what you how you feel about the the initial question, which is is Clubhouse a platform or a feature? I mean, I would initially say feature, um, just because I don't think it has the. I shouldn't say it doesn't have the opportunity or the capability of like eventually becoming a full blown social platform. I just feel like it is. I don't think there's one thing I can say about this right now that doesn't lead into like eight billion different arguments for yeah, there's, it. There's and two that, sides for hopefully sure. Hopefully, we're gonna cover a lot of that in this conversation. We just kind of went off on this conversation and just decided to run into the the podcast room and record it. But to me, especially with all these bigger companies already trying to copy it, it feels like it is obviously something that people assume is here to stay. So I will agree with that. I think there's a lot of people who think it's a fad. I don't think it's a fad. I think it has use and I think a lot of people are really enjoying it. I just see it so easily copyable and there are so many companies out there with the means to copy it and are already copying it and or are planning to copy it we just i think in this week we saw like linkedin spotify and someone else slack i think slack yeah linkedin spotify and slack all working on competitors towards it and this is after we already saw twitter doing spaces and we saw instagram's a half-assed attempt at trying to like give you four live camera uh, whatever but still obviously a push because of clubhouse so it is something that is here to stay and people want it but i think that brings in the argument is it a feature i think it works better on a an already thought out social platform or a platform with other things and it is a part of that platform interesting i that's always a that is a good way of looking at it and i tend to agree mostly that it is a feature mostly because we see it being copied inside of like Twitter spaces as a feature inside Twitter. But I think there's a devil's advocate argument about why it's its own platform and why we're talking about Clubhouse more than any of the others. Like we know about Twitter and we know about Twitter spaces, but even if it's just as widely available, matter of fact, I think Twitter spaces is now more widely available than Clubhouse just because it's on Android. Yeah it still seems to have that it factor where if you can have an entire team and an entire company focused on iterating on this one idea, maybe that's better. Maybe that's better. Now, here's the uh, here's the path it could go down that I kind of see it. We were talking about Snapchat. Snapchat is a an entire company built around one basic idea, and they've had a bunch of success around a bunch of other different platforms like their AR stuff and their, and mm-hmm. their shows. But generally, Snapchat is a social network where you can send disappearing images and videos and post disappearing stories. Yeah. And that turned into a feature inside of everything. Like literally LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, everyone has everyone has stories yeah, now. Stories, it turned into yeah. a feature. So it kind of ended up just being a feature and now Snapchat is just one of the many versions of it. 
Uh, my question is, is Clubhouse like protectable? Like, is there anything unique yeah. about Clubhouse that they could say, uh, you can't actually copy that? <laughs> I'm no lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> no no uh, legal legal advice here. But I think Snapchat's the most interesting way of thinking about this because just imagining like, is this really easily replicable? If you think about Twitter, who couldn't create a platform where you can just tweet 140, 240 characters? If you think about Facebook, who couldn't just create something where you have a very simple profile where you talk about your day and post a couple of pictures or Instagram? Mm -hmm. Those all seem super, super replicable and, and easy. The issue is, is that all those became these like major, major mainstream programs and social platforms that the audience being there is is impossible to compete with them. Like the they semi-compete yeah. with each other, but they built themselves up big enough to become so mainstream and have so many users that ultimately on a social platform, users are the most important thing. And those can't be beat. Snapchat is interesting because it came out and it was its own platform. Everybody had it. It was just very new with the disappearing sending before stories really came yeah, out. It was its own thing. Yeah, and then when they did stories, people liked it. And then all those other platforms are like, wait a minute, we have a bigger audience that's kind of close to what we're kind of doing already. Yeah, and they and have the social graph it. already too. So people already are following groups of people. So you wouldn't you wouldn't want to sign up. This is this is why I think if you're working for Clubhouse or if you're a Clubhouse stan or if you know you think Clubhouse is here to stay, this is definitely something to think about is how do they keep Clubhouse and these, if you're at Clubhouse, how do you keep this format unique to Clubhouse and in a way that people want to go to Clubhouse for it and not use it as a feature in something else? That's the real question. And right now, it seems like the most powerful version of that is these random flash pan, either viral shows or celebrity like moments. Like mm -hmm. I think just as we record this on Wednesday, I think yesterday, Justin Bieber was on Clubhouse for the first time. And like, that's a thing that just instantly trends on Twitter and like yeah. people are talking about it, but also like, you know, Mr. Beast going on doing a show or Elon Musk or Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg just popping on Clubhouse and, and doing a show. And the FOMO factor, because it happens, it doesn't really get recorded and distributed anywhere else, and then it's over. And if you weren't there, you missed it. That sort of thing is really hard to replicate and is probably Clubhouse's best asset because if you're like Spotify, for example, and you can, you can talk about how you think, you know, maybe Spotify yeah, should have bought that. Clubhouse, <laughs> but like... How do you replicate that? You can't really, you know, we talk about how much creators sort of end up controlling the destiny of these early yeah, apps. Yeah, for sure. If and the audience got, as well. Just and like the audience pure, for yeah. sure. If you are, if you're a clubhouse competitor, how do you like create those moments on your network? You can't really just throw a bunch of money at, you know, a, a show host and say, hey, do your show over on Spotify. Mixer, or mixer, on... mixer, mixer, mixer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you can, or even if you do, like there are actually Clubhouse shows that are repeatable formats that will host guests and that will bring people on. If that show gets pulled from, say, Clubhouse to Spotify, does that show still have the same guest drawing power as it did on Clubhouse? I don't think so. And, and so... This is, I guess, one of my main arguments for that is you were saying how does somebody grab, you know, you, exactly, grab the audience as normally you would get it from the creator. The creator would bring their audience. Yeah. I think the biggest creators right now on Clubhouse are the big creators because they're on Clubhouse. They're not because they're the creator name. 
Elon Musk, I don't think, is like, oh, I'd love to be on the Good Time Show. Oh, it's on Clubhouse. I'll download it. He's like, Clubhouse is huge. Everyone's talking about it. I'd like to talk on Clubhouse. What is my biggest platform on Clubhouse? Interesting. I think that's what's really drawing people in. I think my argument to what you were saying, though, is how do these other companies get that? I think what that is right now is hype, and it is it is working great. Like Clubhouse is, has a ton of hype behind it. It is really hard to organically grow that. The issue is, is for that to grow further past the hype, you can't have hype forever. That's just True. nothing has ever had that. <laughs> yeah. So what Clubhouse would have to do in order to grow is incorporate all these different social aspects that every other platform that wants to do the Clubhouse thing has already and has an audience and has members, has the social part of the social aspect. So it is much easier for them to develop. It's just an audio, no video chat room with an audience. That's so much easier than growing a user base, a social aspect, chat and discovery and all that. Because I still don't use Clubhouse. I don't have an iPhone, but I think I've seen a couple of things like the discovery aspect of Clubhouse is not good. It's not great or well fleshed out, but that's also because there's this this novelty factor where when you get a new social network, you don't know who of your friends are on it. You don't know who of the people you already know you like following in other places is on it. So you're just kind of poking around. And they've got some built-in mechanisms where you can follow topics and get up to date on rooms around these topics and find people to follow that you might not have heard of in other places. But the thing about Clubhouse that I think is maybe its biggest challenge is when you visit someone's profile, you don't see any of their body of work. Unless they do their best to describe it in text, you don't have their Clubhouse body of work. So think about it. On, On Twitter, when I go to your Twitter profile... How do I decide if I'm going to follow you or not? I read some of your you tweets. Scroll down, yeah. I scroll down. I can see some of your tweets, your pictures, and then I can decide in the moment. I want to see more of this. I'm going to follow. If I'm going on Facebook, or if I'm going literally anywhere, Instagram, it's a whole grid. If I'm going to follow you, let me just scroll down a little bit. Check out what are the things mm-hmm. I'm going to see. If I'm on YouTube, literally, it's a catalog right there. If I'm on Clubhouse and I come across a bunch of people who I, I think are, are pretty cool on Clubhouse, but I don't really know, I don't have any preview of what I'm going to get when I follow this person on Clubhouse. And that is probably both its biggest strength and its biggest weakness is it's so ephemeral and disappearing that you want to be on Clubhouse so you don't miss the thing. But when you're trying to decide how to curate and follow on this new network, you know, I decided to follow, uh, you know, a bunch of people that I know from Twitter and then they're never in rooms and it doesn't matter. So I need to find new ways of of engaging. So it's it's kind of its biggest strength in, and weakness. In that sense, it almost feels like the difference between YouTubers who ask you to smash the like button and subscribe before they've done literally anything in the video <laughs> yeah. versus people who give a well thought out video and at the end are like, oh, by the way, if you really enjoyed this, like you should probably subscribe and see more. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to do that because there's no body of work. You have to kind of hope or you have to find a good way of discovery to get into these rooms and then realize like, oh, that guy, I really liked his line of thinking or his arguments or I would like to listen to him at other times and and then follow them through that. It feels like the two biggest arguments you've made towards Clubhouse were the hype behind it and mm-hmm. the novelty behind it. Mm-hmm. And I just, none of those sound like long-term adjectives I would want to use for any right. type of company. Right, so um, that's that's probably the biggest indicator that mm-hmm. Clubhouse, and it's, we already know it's 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 a very in the moment thing. Like I oh, think yeah. it's a perfect time for something like Clubhouse to come up where people are at home and sure. listening to you know live rooms and don't wanna have their camera on. Like all this stuff makes perfect sense for right now. 
But that's sort of like the perfect argument for it's going to go away, <laughs> basically. I think it's I think it's bubbled right now, but kind of like what what people said is that the it's a bubble that's going to pop, but it's not going to eliminate it. I still think there it is something that will stay. I just don't know if it has the staying power to be its own solo app. You have to realize every time you have your own app, that is just another app everyone has to download on their phone. Everyone has to just think again about a new login information. It all sounds really petty, but like these are things that are preventing people from joining new things. So if that is incorporated into Twitter or incorporated into Spotify, it's just super different. Everybody has Twitter. Everyone has Spotify already. It's way easier. So, I mean, my ultimate thought behind this and, you know, I've never owned a company that has looked to buy out a company or ever owned a company that's looked to sell to a company, but it makes perfect sense for me for someone like Spotify who just recently bought a a program called Locker Room, which I think is like a sports dedicated kind of clubhouse deal because right. and they're just using the technology to create their own clubhouse, but feature a big company like Spotify that you've said it I think you uh mentioned they want to be like the audio hub of the internet that they would then try and acquire Clubhouse, let it keep its name, keep the hype and everything behind it now, but then give to Clubhouse all the benefits of being a giant company like Spotify with users. Everyone who owns Spotify is already listening to audio all the time, podcasts and music. Now, this is just another audio format that it's bringing all of their users to, and you get all the benefits of having developers and a team and research and development of so, Spotify. So this is what I was going to ask you. So what I was going to say, what is like your, what do you think should be the future of Clubhouse? Should they go standalone? Should they eventually get bought? Sounds like you think Spotify should be the one. Here, my question is, do you think they should buy Clubhouse, but then let them continue to operate in a separate app owned by Spotify with support? Or should it be built into Spotify, which I think is what Spotify wants, where they have Spotify Music, Spotify Podcasts, and then Spotify Live. And that's where Clubhouse went. Is that what you think? I feel like I could see that being a net benefit for both because Clubhouse now has just so much more access to users. I mean, the first thing you think about is not being available for Android, which is the reason why I've never checked out a Clubhouse room. I've been on Twitter (laughs) spaces before. I think I, I hopped on one that you and Austin were in just because I... It was on Twitter and I just opened it. I wasn't doing yep. anything. Exactly. Like, so that's just another avenue where if you're in Spotify already, like trying to find a podcast to listen to on the car ride or trying to find a playlist to listen to on the train, like, oh, there's a live room with a creator that I like. And it's just there in my audio app that I default look at no matter what when I want to listen to something. It seems like it would make way more sense. I totally understand. I don't know the people who own Clubhouse. I don't know what it's like to create something that blows up this big. I'm sure they have a ton of passion behind it, and I'm sure they'd be worried about being bought out by a giant company and things changing. But I, to me, that feels like the best way to, to have a longer tail on this and to make sure it doesn't die out or get killed. We, If you go all the way back to now when we were talking about Snapchat, Snapchat was around for years and got completely destroyed by Instagram coming out with stories. And mm-hmm. now Clubhouse has been around for a couple of months and there's like 12 competitors to it already. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. So I guess... I would be worried. If you were at a Clubhouse? Yeah. Yeah, I think if I if I was at Clubhouse, you know, I see all the co- competitors coming up who are doing very similar things, borderline copying with slight differences. Maybe, maybe if you're at Clubhouse, you want to focus on the content itself and the things that make 
Clubhouse interesting, mm -hmm. which is like the shows that people make, the viral moments, the people, the personalities, but also giving tools to those people to make more and to possibly monetize what they do. That's not a thing that exists on Clubhouse yet. Yeah. And then once you're there, you kind of think about new ways to make it better, which is sort of a super basic explanation of it, but just keeping it yeah, like no, very agree. pure to Clubhouse. But if it does get bought, I think they should keep the name Clubhouse yeah. because that's so much attached to the Clubhouse yeah. name. And uh, I ultimately think they probably will end up getting turned into a feature. Yeah. I think Whether it's the Snapchat is, way or not. That is a good point, though. It needs to keep Clubhouse. If anyone buys it, it needs to be Clubhouse is now owned by the parent company Spotify, is owned by the parent company LinkedIn, is owned by the parent company Slack. Like, it needs to keep the name. I guess that and the integration with an app like Spotify makes it much harder because I highly doubt Spotify wants to have, like, a clubhouse button. That's the thing, though. That's like, what they. That's what they get out of buying of buying Clubhouse because Clubhouse doesn't make money right now. Clubhouse doesn't no, have ads. No, but Spotify doesn't gives it a good, Gives it the power to like have that. I mean, ultimately, right now, Clubhouse is trying to figure out. They have a million different things they have to do. Mm -hmm. They're a small team. I'm sure they've gotten much bigger because they have a huge influx in money because they're doing great. They're huge. It makes sense, but it, they still need to figure out what's going to be the next big step, whether that's finding new ways for the creators to be able to to stay on and make some money off of that or an Android app or a web app or like there's so many different things they probably have to do where if you join a giant team like Spotify, you have half those teams already and you can bring them in and, and you just get so much more support and you don't have to build from the bottom up. I mean, again, I am clearly no expert in this. Like this is just like... A, Total consumer's thought process on this. Yeah. Yeah. I just think there's a there's definitely a thought process to acquiring a company. There is Aqua oh, Hires, yeah. which is like, we're just buying your tech, we're just buying your team, or we're buying, you know, the user base, or we're buying all mm -hmm. of it and the hype that comes with it. And I imagine a clubhouse acquisition, if it ever happened, would be very, very expensive. And they would want to get as much benefit out of that as possible, whether it's under their own name or whether it's financial. And I really think Clubhouse having like a couple billion dollar valuation is not because it's making tons of money. It doesn't seem to be. It's more because it's it commands the attention that can be turned into money later. Yeah. And so if you're Spotify buying Clubhouse, just as like our theoretical example, I feel like Spotify wants everyone to use the Spotify app as the hub to the internet. And so if they can just buy Clubhouse, plug it into Spotify, and put a, a Clubhouse button inside Spotify and it does the thing Clubhouse does, that's their dream because they just got all of the hype and none yeah. of the money and they can turn it into money later. Mm -hmm. But if they if they did this other version where they bought Clubhouse, left it as its own app and plugged in their own engineering and hope, helped it make money, I don't think it would ever pay for itself. I think they need as much to go to Spotify, the app, as possible. But again, that's just both of us like sort of guesstimating what yeah. we think might happen. We should probably take a break from all of this <laughs> guesstimating and come back to some actual stuff that's happening. So let's do that. Be right back. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? 
That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI Power Gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. You also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is going to change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution. Like you, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think right. finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at orus.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte, team up, fight on. All right, welcome back. So speaking of social networks and features, <laughs> YouTube, uh, YouTube had this little fun, interesting idea. And uh, I'm just going to read it. An original idea. Original. Well, I'm just going <laughs> to read it. Let's see. This is a tweet from YouTube from March 30th. In response to creator feedback around well-being and targeted dislike campaigns, we're testing a, new, a few new designs that don't show the public dislike count. If you're part of this small experiment, you might spot one of these designs in the coming weeks. Example below. Then a screenshot of a video that shows the amount of dislikes. Then below that tweet, there's a screenshot where it shows uh, a thumbs up button with the number of likes a dislike button with no number, and then share and download and save and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So kind of uh, kind of in the same vein as like Instagram not showing likes. Maybe it's in the same vein as Twitter. I don't know. Facebook getting rid of dislike. Remember the dislike oh, button? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, the dislike button on Facebook. But now they have like the angry face. Yeah. Uh, which I guess <laughs> is just a weirder dislike button initial, that no one uses. Initial it. thoughts on YouTube getting rid of the dislike button. Uh, initial thoughts? Makes sense. I can see how it could help creator well-being. I mean, if you are like it says dislike campaigns, I, I think those happen. I don't think they're as like common as we might say. I don't think it's it's like a plague that's happening around YouTube and maybe not something big enough to create a whole new like feature on. But it definitely uh, I mean, like there are people who dislike a bunch of videos and some people focus on it a little too much. But then after that initial thought, I'm just like, I, I don't think this is good. Yeah, this this is awful to me. <laughs> this is absolutely awful. And I they I they absolutely shouldn't do it. And I think they they got ratioed hard enough to understand that, but often it's it's hard to understand what YouTube gets and doesn't get. So I just want to <laughs> put out all of the reasons why this is a bad idea. Uh -huh. Okay. Number one, feedback is important. And there's a lot of social networks that are fine with not having a dislike rating 
when there's a piece of content you either like or comment on, like Instagram, there really isn't any usefulness to a dislike button on Instagram. But if you do want feedback about something, you'll get comments. And if it's a bad piece, you'll get a bunch of comments that bubble to the top. And you can't really curate those comments other than pinning one of them. You have to see those comments. On YouTube, the dislike button is incredibly useful. Number one, because, you know, they mentioned, first of all, they mentioned, uh, I'll just talk about the first thing they they address, which is uh, dislike campaigns and creator well-being. The dislike count still shows up in your studio. You're still still going (laughs) to see how many dislikes a video has. So it's really, all it's doing is hiding the public-facing dislike count, which is not useful because there's going to be a lot of videos that should have a high dislike ratio and that immediately is sort of like a sentiment bar for when you arrive at a video. Let's say you arrive at a video that you've been searching, you know, for this this video about a topic and you arrive at a six minute video saying it's going to show something and it has a really great thumbnail. It has three likes and 50 dislikes. What do you immediately know? That never gets addressed. This video video. is not going to be representative of the thumbnail or it's not going to be good. I'm going to save my time clicking around this 10 minute video and leave. Like the dislike count is actually useful. Mm -hmm. Now, there are uh, dislike campaigns or highly disliked videos. YouTube, you might be familiar with this one, uh, YouTube (laughs) Rewind a little not too long ago. I might have been involved in that video. Uh, It's the number one most disliked video of all time. But guess what we learned from that? that it was a bad video. Because if you had gone to that video, let me just pull this up real quick, and it has the dislike button hidden, you would pull up that video for YouTube Rewind and you would see that that video has 214 million views and 2.9 million likes. And you would go on to say, all right, this is probably pretty good. And if you didn't scroll down and start looking at the comments, which can be curated by the uploader, then this would seem like a pretty good video. What you might miss is it has 19 million dislikes, which is very, (laughs) very important to knowing how people feel about the video. So that's just a couple reasons why it's a bad idea. There's other things just because, again, when you can can upload spam and like disable, anytime someone disables likes or comments, you already know that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. And I think disabling the dislikes for free allows a lot of bad actors to get away with their stuff yes. when they just disable comments and leave likes on. That's just going to look like wrong. Like you need some way to indicate. There are a lot of bad. scam channels out there that are just pushing like fake V bucks or live streams that are Bitcoin live streams. And like YouTube, if you want to tell us that you've greatly increased your moderation and you can deal with all of that, take away the dislike button. If you actually got rid of all your AI stuff and mm. have good moderation, sure take away the dislike button, but you don't, and that's not going to happen. Yeah. The dislike this button is, is just, important. There are scammers out there who are drooling right now because all their videos and live streams are just going to have a bunch of likes yep. and no red flags on them at exactly. all. Exactly. The comment section can be curated. Imagine a terrible YouTuber apology that doesn't take any credit for their actions and just like posts it to their core audience and their, their core audience likes it and they get a bunch of likes, but all the people who realize that this is a bad video don't have that voice heard or that version of response expressed because the comments are carefully curated or d- disabled entirely. You can delete comments you don't like, just like Instagram and Facebook, but you can also just heart a bunch of comments. Yep. You can also reply to comments and they bubble to the top. You can just you can just change the way comments look. So the dislike button being the last version of a thing where people can tell you that this wasn't a good video 
removing the public facing version, just the public facing version. That's the thing, leaving yeah, the yeah. button. Your main argument is still there. Leaving the button, leaving the feedback actual implementation and the engagement and the counter in the creator studio, but just removing the public facing most useful version of why that button exists is not useful in any way. If the if the way you're saying it's useful is creator well-being, it's not accomplishing that, this is a terrible idea. If anything, if you really are worried about the creator well-being, make there like a toggle option so as a creator, you don't see the like-dislike ratio on any of your videos or in your account, but it's still a public-facing thing. And sure, like they can go around it and still find it, but they can do that now and you don't have any of the benefits of being an audience member and seeing those red flags of the actual dislike button. Yeah. Yeah, it just feels weird. If you were really that worried about creator well-being, then just take the dislike button out completely. Like Facebook but don't. did. But, but don't. don't. But yeah, don't. But <laughs> Okay, let's say they do. Let's say they go, you know what? This all makes sense. We should just remove the dislike button completely. Then it sort of just turns into a, a feed of like generic, like thumbs up content. Like, you know how you see a Netflix show where the rating is like 78% and you're like thinking about, huh, is that high enough for me to click it or not? You don't even have that anymore. It just is a popularity counter. Yeah. Which is like what Instagram already is, which is what retweets already are. So yeah. Insta yeah. If you look back at Instagrams, there's made a little more sense because you were also going to take away the positive aspect of it as well and you were just going to assume that your stuff was either good or if people commented on it it was probably pretty good and it, that way you weren't always judging yourself based on even all the good feedback it felt a little more useful this is basically just like every single youtube channel that doesn't want to deal with bad feedback is just going to turn into their own little echo chamber of like yeah. i can just make everything look fantastic on this and my audience is going to be none the wiser because there's no way for them to ever figure out if I'm deceiving people or just have bad content and yeah, it's, bad it's just for a so waste of everybody's time. So many reasons. For everything we talked about, for scams, for conspiracy theories, for all these things, not a good call. Okay, well, that was the top of the grab bag list. You seem pretty enthusiastic <laughs> yeah, about Yeah, I just that. wanted to get that out <laughs> the way. Also, but we can get into uh, WWDC, which is uh, coming June 7th officially, which mm -hmm. is uh, a pretty positive piece of news. It is virtual only again this year, which makes a lot of sense. Flying a lot of people in isn't exactly the best idea yet, we're almost there. We're Lights at the there. end of the tunnel, but it is virtual in June. Um, the teasers went out, and they were of uh, you know animo emojis, memojis. It's a memoji a for memoji. a person, right? I always see people say animoji, but that's the animals. That's animals, right? But um, are we animals? I guess technically they are animals. We animojis, are animojis, but anyway, right. <laughs> they're wearing glasses, and the glasses are reflecting. The date, and it's sort of an homage to the Craig Federighi moment from oh, that yeah, last exactly Apple presentation. Yeah. But of course, everyone's reading into the glasses on the Memoji saying there's going to be some sort of AR glasses presentation or some sort of reveal or product or some sort of glasses related it's thing. It's been rumored for like two years now that they're Forever. working on some sort of AR glasses or headset or whatever. I think it was just their creative way of being able to use the Craig meme while also having the reflection of the calendar, which is the very, very clear date for it. It is like, yeah. every. it's like when some people, we do Easter eggs in our videos, and when some people try way too hard to find some of the Easter eggs, they're, I think people are just overlooking into this, when in reality is a very obvious Easter egg for the date. I just and got I a great, great video idea. Nobody steal this, okay? Nobody steal this video. <laughs> pinky swear. Stick your pinky out to your speaker right now. Yeah, pause this I video, tweet at me saying you won't steal this video, okay? But we should go back through time 
and analyze companies' press events that are notorious for holding, like having Easter eggs in them and see who has held the most Easter eggs. Because if you know every time there's a new Apple event, everyone overanalyzes every single little thing about it. And I want to know who's actually like hiding a lot of good information in them. Remember when Tesla had like a bunch of text in the shadows and you brightened it and you could see like nice try, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you can't actually see the rest of the car. Like these are the types of things I want to go back and see like, we do overanalyze, but should we even be? That's why I'd like to have like somebody on the podcast sometime that is the person who works on those specific oh, little things. Never like, you tell. know someone has like a real job doing that or even yeah. just like some of these social media managers who are actually doing well. Um, that just seems like such a fascinating job that I would love to hear how much research they do to see and how in these communities they are to yeah. see like what people are going. I mean, I I get overanalyzing things. It's super fun. Yeah. It's like a it's like your Nicolas Cage in National Treasure. Everyone wants to be Nick Cage. I mean, <laughs> uh so it makes sense, but I really don't think AR glasses are going to be at WWDC. Dang. I think there's some rumors that it might come out sometime this year. I don't think even maybe an announcement. I would say the best thing we'll get this year is an announcement that they're like being worked on and maybe you get to see them. But I honestly don't even think that happens in 2021. The one reason I could see it happening mm-hmm. is because it's a developer conference and they need, in order to, to kickstart, jumpstart this whole world of new AR-related apps, they need to get this new platform in the hands of developers. And so developers get really excited about certain things, like software, like the Mac Pro, because like, you can code on this. This machine's going to compile code way faster. And every once in a while, there's a new platform, and you want to have like a developer version of this thing come out or be revealed okay. at least so that you can start coding and making apps for it. They put LiDAR in the new iPhone a while ago. People have been working on AR stuff for Apple for a while. But I could see like a Google Glass Explorer edition type of vibe thing okay. happening at WWDC. I should rephrase what I said then. I don't think there will be any announcement or product launch of a consumer-based model. I think Fair. you're seeing this as like when they first, remember when they first announced Mac Pro and then it didn't come out for consumers for like a year and a half? They were right. announcing it and I'm sure developers were getting parts of it or some sort of something to start developing on it, even though that's that's OS. That's not like a whole different ecosystem. But Apple's been doing AR stuff. They still have it in their phones. They have it in yep. different things. It's being worked on. It just needs to be this new form factor, which I don't know how much of a difference in development it would need. I, I want to say the general aspects of AR and sensors and stuff like that are probably going to just be pretty similar to the iPhone, just in a in glasses the screen aspect might be the hardest part. Yeah, there's all kinds of yeah. questions about form factor and like how you get batteries that small on your face. But I I could see, I could see them unveiling Apple glasses coming this fall. Like this is like a one more thing moment where you're not- At you're not WWDC. Ex- at WWDC. And this is me being super wishful thinking and setting the hype way too high, but let's do it anyway. Okay. <laughs> Apple goes, hey, one more thing. And then they show a little teaser this is how it's going to go. They'll show a little teaser of a bunch of angles or something, and then it goes, Apple AR glasses, $1,499. And everyone goes, whoa. And then Apple goes, but all the stuff you've been shooting on your iPhone, which has had that LiDAR sensor, will now be able to be objects inside of your AR world. And we've worked with a couple developers behind the scenes who have been making apps for it. Let's have them come on stage and show their apps. One or two or three come on stage, show their apps. Then they go, all of you developers, 
you can make your apps AR compatible with just a few lines of code. And they go, whoa, that's awesome. And then you'll have to wait. You know, you'll get you'll get the resources to convert your app to work with the UI, but we'll have to wait a couple more months to actually get the actual glasses in our hands. That's how it'll go. Mark my in, thousand words. In 2022, that's how it'll go. Interesting. Okay. I don't know. I don't see that <laughs> happening this we'll year. See. I think we would have had a little more. They st Apple still leaks, uh, I think. On a different note, I do have a question for you mm -hmm. about WWDC. So it is virtual again. We've gone through a whole year of virtual production. A lot of people are eager to get back to physical events. How does Apple go back? Do you think they just go back completely into their normal physical in-person events? Or like now that they've created these like insane production quality virtual events, how do they potentially incorporate some of that into the live stream aspect of their in-person events? Because they're realizing they had 22 million people watching WWDC last in 2020. Right. So how do they somehow bring that production quality into now a live stream that has a live audience and a physical thing where all of them can't quite see the crazy drone transitions through Apple Park? Or do you think they hit some middle ground between them? Or do you just think they go straight back to their well-produced in-person events where the live stream isn't as enthralling for people online? I think they essentially go right back Okay. But probably have a couple of cool extra things that they've learned from these live presentations. I guess they could all always transition between speakers as a transition that would just play up on a monitor there and on the live stream would just take up the like, yeah, switch camera. It's almost. funny because they, they have really nailed the whole keynote thing where one person walks off stage holding a remote and the next person walks on stage, they hand them the remote and they go, thank you. And switch slides like that's a yeah. that's an apple presentation moment that we see everywhere now and i think they want to probably get back to but i don't know there's there's no reason why they have to go back do you know what would be cooler than passing that remote what if you had a pair of wireless earbuds where you could change the powerpoint presentation by sliding on your earbud sorry we talked about <laughs> those surface buds the other day and i that's still it. think that's one of the dumbest features of a product <laughs> I, um, I always wanted to tap my ear and change the slide <laughs> Uh, one more thing, Xiaomi Mi Mix Fold didn't leak. <laughs> yeah, eyes. Um, <laughs> yeah, Xiaomi went on stage, they had an event, they unveiled a bunch of new versions of their phones, the Mi 11, Mi 11 Ultra, which I really want to get my hands on, seems like the everything spec phone yeah. and an awesome device, but also the Mi Mix Fold, which is a foldable. And we, we talked about these devices near in the studio for a bit, and then we ended up just landing on, how did this not leak? Yeah. That's awesome, that we didn't actually see the Mi Mix Fold before it came out. And... The thing about Mi Mix, first of all, is we've, remember the first Mi Mix? That was like one of the early bezel-less phones. And it had like the camera on the bottom, right? Camera in the chin, no top bezel. But then the next Mi Mix had like a pop-up top screen that I like popped out of the top and the whole camera was module the was the top one? half. Yeah, there's, the point is that the Mi Mix has never really had any one form factor. No, or it's one always look. kind of been like the revolutionary or like the new thing they're working on. Yeah. Hardware-wise, at least. And to me, that's, both hard to follow, but also really fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the fact that they've named it the Me Mix Fold seems to suggest it's it's a sequel to previous Me Mixes, mm -hmm. but maybe it's just another one in the line. I don't know. It's the Xiaomi try whatever you want phone. Um, but yeah, it's a foldable. And I think the reason, so this is my this is my Yeah, theory. I, liked, I liked this theory a lot. Yeah, uh, the theory about tech that doesn't leak. 
is the only real way that you can make and develop a piece of tech now that doesn't leak is if you do all of it behind closed doors and do not start production. Mm-hmm. Because the second the supply chain goes international and there's all your suppliers involved and there's tons of wires being crossed and all sorts of ways for things to leak, then it's just going to get out there sooner yeah. or later. Some are more extreme than others, but that's how it happens. Mm-hmm. And so I thought back to Tesla Roadster when they rolled that thing out of the back of the truck a couple of years ago. God, that was a long time ago. How was that live? It was, well, <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> but I imagine it was incredible to have that thing roll out and everyone go, literally not a single peep, not a single rumor, not a single hint of maybe Tesla's going to refresh this thing. There's people flying drones over Tesla's like parking lots now trying to find stuff. Yeah, that seems highly it's crazy. Illegal, but... You can't actually make anything without it leaking now, but they kept that thing behind closed doors and they did not start production of anything other than the single roadster that they showed yeah. on stage. And that's how it was kept a secret. And so really, basically, if you're going to keep a secret in today's tech world, it needs to be an announcement before production starts, which is, I guess, what happens with the Mimix here. And I guess what happened with... Uh, Mac Pro and and some other stuff like that. Even that, you know, kind of got leaked a little bit because mm-hmm. it was talked about. But yeah, that's basically what I've learned is. So what you're saying start. though, ultimately, is you don't think the Mimix Fold is like full blown, or maybe now it's in production, but you think it's like just ramping up now and pr- most likely was not in production. Therefore, I wouldn't expect it anytime really soon. Right. I or would in guess, limited quantities. Yeah, yeah. I would I would guess that they have announced it now and are going to start making it soon and selling it and shipping it a little bit later. Um, which is fine. I think I think, I think if it's not like a six month delay or anything wild, I think that's perfectly fine if people can start to get it. I think that's though interesting to look at. I think if you're seeing a product being announced that you've never heard of before and is crazy interesting and maybe like super, super revolutionary or like technologically advanced, think about if it hasn't been leaked, especially if it's by a big company, because it might not be as far along as you think then. And maybe I wouldn't hop on pre-orders right away. Yeah, that's always the thing. When a product gets announced, Think for a second about whether you think they've made a bunch of them yet or not. Yeah. This is very appropriate in the car world, too. Like Every time we talk about a new car that comes out where they're like, dang, Lucid said they're going to make a 1,200-horsepower four-door sedan that weighs two tons but also does a nine-second quarter mile. And look, they did a drag race with one. It did the thing. Or even I can use Tesla as an example. Tesla rolled the thing out of a pickup truck and or a semi-truck and said, look, here's the one that we made. It does the thing. Before you put your money down, think about if that company you think can actually execute on this vision. Because it's really, really hard to make 100,000 of something. It's really, Mm -hmm. really easy, relatively speaking, to make one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've seen the Roadster delay. We're still wondering if parts of the Roadster are going to be real, like the yoke steering. Or I guess that was more... Well, we're wondering that now because of the Model S Plaid. Yeah. Uh, So... One, it's just one of those red flags. I feel like we always give kind of red flags that I'm sure nobody listens to at all and just pre-orders wildly instead. But we tried, guys. Yeah. We tried. Just trying to give you a heads up. All right. So I think that about wraps it up. I think we learned a lot today about things not to do. We're a teaching podcast. Definitely. So. Stop ruining April Fool's Day, number one. Don't make an entire social network based on a feature that could be copied, maybe. Uh, don't start production of a thing that you want to announce before leaks happen. And stop removing useful features from YouTube. There you go. That's been it. We'll see you guys next week. Take it easy. Waveform is produced by Adam Molina. We are partnered with Studio 71, and our intro-outro music was created by Cameron Barlow.
Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.